Good morning. Welcome to the Always in Prison podcast. <laughs> what the heck is that? <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. We are here uh, doing the podcast today. My name is Aaron, and I am joined by Pastor Mark and Pastor Megan. Hey. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. <laughs> I'm feeling good this morning. Um, we have got uh, a good conversation today to have. And uh, if you're joining us, you know, you've maybe checked us out once or twice before, if this is the first time, uh, we are the staff of Pursuit Community Church, and we do this podcast um, as sort of a follow-up from every weekend's sermon. So we go through some of those topics and questions. Sometimes whoever is preaching or teaching, they don't have all their notes, so we'll maybe go through some of those things too. So part of this is kind of review supplementary to that. Um, and then other times we just talk about other things that are going on in the world and Christianity and, and stuff like that too. So uh, we had a good conversation last week, not only about the sermon, but we also kind of went back to our conversation from this past fall about uh, some of the issues uh, going on uh, in our religion and our faith in the American church. And um, so we'll kind of do that again today in the second half of the podcast. Uh, but yeah. We're going to jump in, let Pastor Mark review. Yeah, hopefully we won't be so melancholy. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. last week we were pretty down. Yeah, um, It does sometimes feel overwhelming because you're like, I'm trying to breathe life into this and and all it feels like we're just fighting an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Like it just feels like, oh, it's another thing this week and another thing this week. And there yeah. were more things this week. So whatever. I mean, yeah, we can't keep track of all of it. And we don't, I don't even want to talk about all of it because at some point it just like becomes depressing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's so not. We, it's not like our, we're not reporters, you know, we're yeah. not a media outlet. So we're we'll not be, we'll be to... practical today about like, yeah. what do we actually do to try to avoid these kinds of things, which is, yeah. I think, a, a productive conversation. So, uh, yeah, this week we're in First John chapter four and uh, less, you know, like a less long uh, passage to go through, which is nice. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> Insert joke about how Mark preaches for a long time here. Or just about how long some of our chunks of Exodus passages yeah. were. Correction. <laughs> that was pretty First fun. John chapter five. Sorry. Yeah, beginning of chapter five. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. And five, I'm, one the, through I'm in the end of chapter five this yeah. week, which is a nightmare passage. Bananas. This is why you preach verse by verse because you would skip over passages the like we have for this weekend. Um if it was up to me, I would never preach a sermon on First John chapter five, thirteen to twenty one. So buckle up, it'll be great. It'll be fine, but like just yeah. nothing I would ever choose. Yeah. It's just a really complicated piece of scripture. And it's it's taken a lot of study this week to get it wrangled. Um, but it'll be good. So uh this week we just kind of uh talked through the um the passage and we talked a lot about uh being being a disciple, being born again. Mm-hmm. This idea that like we are reborn as believers, and John uses this language when he's um you know kind of talking about the fact that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, that there's a second birth that happens. And even when Jesus used this concept, it was kind of difficult for people to understand. I think, you know, the, it was Nicodemus who's like, like what born again? Like I, I got to climb up in my mom's womb again. It's like, yeah. I always, whenever I preach that feel very uncomfortable talking about it. Like <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like, wait, what? Um, you're like, no, you're just like, bro, <laughs> no, right? no, don't even, don't even think that. Is it funny that, boy, I'm going to kind of show my cards here, but whenever I like see a Pharisee, not Nicodemus, by the way, but when yeah. I hear a Pharisee talking, in my mind, they sound like Ben Shapiro. <laughs> Does anyone else 
Like I, for me, it's more Dane Cook. I don't know. <laughs> it's just I can't <laughs> like I can't not hear Ben Shapiro's voice when they're like, but yeah. Jesus, uh, you know, and then he's like looked at them and saw what they were thinking, and then he like responded. Um, that was my Ben Shapiro impression. So there you go, that one's free. Um, but Jesus, you know, talked about us being born again and how we need to actually be born again. Like I think a lot of people their testimony is I was born into a Christian family mm-hmm. and it's, and they leave out the part about being born again into yep. Christ for themselves. Yeah. And I think that's a major problem in Minnesota. I think there's a lot of people out there like, yeah, I'm a believer. I've been doing this my whole life. And it would almost be like embarrassing for them to go back and restart mm. or to like make yeah. the faith their own. Like yeah. I, we have these, we have these conversations with people who, who are adults who don't want to be baptized all the time. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's almost embarrassing for me to be baptized now. Yeah, because I'm, you know, 50 and I've been going to church my whole life. And yeah. why would I get baptized now at 50 years old? Like, that's embarrassing. It's like, yeah. there's really no two ways about it. John says you have to be born again. Yeah. I think there's a lot of Christians out there that are apathy, apathetic. It might be a good adjective to describe how, you know, like you said, you've been at your whole life. And so it's just part of who you are. It's how you define yourself. You're aware of it. But there's not a whole lot else there. Like, yeah. and so when you enter into the concept of baptism or being reborn, it causes you to like, you know, almost freak out. Like, oh, I have to get ready for the test. Like, yeah. you know, I have to study up and remember all these things. Like, and I think one of the really beautiful things about the imagery of of you know the words rebirth is like, if you're a parent or even if you're not a parent, if you've been around like newborn children or you've watched children grow from newborns to infants from infants to toddlers from toddlers to little kids like there is so much development not only physically but mentally Mm -hmm. like that happens and i think that's a really great image or metaphor for like christians like we have to start over and think about the world differently we have to relearn everything and so in that sense like not going back into the womb that's weird and horrific but like That part of it, that imagery is really great. It yeah. makes ton of sense. I'm sure you guys have done this as well, but I can't count the number of times I've had students say, well, I don't have a testimony. Oh, <laughs> wrong. We're going like, on a mission no, trip. Yeah. yeah. Like you're like, no, 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 no. You do. Yeah. It might not be your life was terrible, then Jesus, then better. But yeah. like talking through that like life change yep. of of making your faith your own and not just I've been going to church my whole life. So I don't know. Jesus was just always there. I was just talking about this with Bobby too. Like, you know, I turned 41 next week. I'm old. And, uh, you know, for so long, like my testimony, I had it like nailed. I could do it without looking at any notes. It just was in my head, you know, like again, youth ministry. So it's just part of who you are. This is like you age, you experience more of life. You get married, you have kids, which is, you know, part of my story. It's not necessarily part of everyone's story who's my age, but like there's like the second half, like the second act of your testimony. Yeah. You know? And so then you're like, oh, what can I cut from the first act to like fit all this stuff in? Or, you know, I feel like I have to, like, I, I love, need like three small groups to share my whole story. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love when I tell my testimony, my mom argues with me. <laughs> She's like, that's not I'll be like, happened. yeah, I didn't really grow up going to church. Like, you know, when I was 13 or well, actually when I was like about 11, 12, my mom started dragging me to church when I was 13, accepted Jesus. She's like, that's not, that's not the way it went. You were going to church before you were 11. I'm like, really? Cause I don't remember. Like, was it like, like twice a year? Right, she's like, like, she's like the fact checked during the debate. Seriously. Yeah. She's like, oh no. And then I'll often tell the story that like my grandfather 
was a alcoholic who beat his wife, you know, and then when I was growing up, my dad like started to struggle a little bit with alcoholism and like uh, he I watched him one time punch his fist through a bathroom door that my mom was cowering on the other side of like violence was entering into our family. And it was, you know, he'd come home and he'd have to have, you know, like I remember like he would get the Heineken bottles with the like snap top the like bigger ones and he would come home and have a couple every single day after work because he, he literally couldn't mm-hmm. come down from work without having alcohol and then you know part of that testimony is like he accepted jesus and now like mm-hmm. he'll have he has beer in his fridge it's like goes bad you know what i mean like he doesn't care about alcohol at all he barely yeah. drinks anything and so talking about the idea that like i think if jesus hadn't intervened in my life mm-hmm. that i would be an angry alcoholic who beat people like mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I was saved from that realization. My grandfather, my my dad. But every time I tell that story, my dad just like, "Come on, bro!" Like, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? So, do yeah. you have you to share? Yeah, you gotta be careful with your testimony. You yeah, know? it's hard. <laughs> so, but yeah, so being born again, and then you know, I think Paul Paul kind of talks about this too. Uh, we should probably pull the reference, but I think it's First Corinthians chapter three where he talks about, "Hey, I want to give you guys meat." But you're not even like, you're not mature enough to be able to handle meat. I got to stick with milk. I got to stick with giving you milk right now. Yeah. Because you guys have not gone on in your faith. That's kind of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I can't even move on to more complicated concepts because we haven't really established the basics yet. We haven't nailed the foundation right. yet. Yeah. And it's like, I, I get that sometimes, you know. Um, you know, so it's First Corinthians 3. Hey, I was right. Yeah. Uh, Starts in verse two, verse one, verse two. Yeah. So verse two is I give you milk, not solid food for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Yeah. Just Paul's way of saying, hey, babies. Right. Like here's some more milk. Like, hey, (laughs) I'm back again with the same garbage that I've been talking to you guys about last time. Like, yeah, you know, come on, guys. Like, are we going to are we going to get over this hump or not? I think this speaks to the fact that our our spiritual lives, we don't age just manually every year like our age does like Mm -hmm. there's work that you have to put into this um into your relationship with jesus and like you have to grow this it's not just going to grow on its own yeah you'll be stuck on milk forever if you just coast that's a really good point actually you know it goes with i think aaron you guys were talking about this in your small group we were talking about this ahead of time but like we talked about the guardrails illustration that like legalism is a problem for a lot of people Mm -hmm. but like we the law was came to make us free and you know the work that we put in essentially the guardrails only work if you're moving forward down the road yeah if you want to turn perpendicular and blow through one of the guardrails yeah you can yeah <laughs> it's just wood and steel knock like, yourself yeah. out right if, you, yeah. if your vehicle's big enough and we've you hit all it hard seen enough, those mangled on the side of the yes. road like and it's a mess right uh-huh. and mm-hmm. so it's like if you decide you want to there has to be some amount of work you put into like okay I have these to protect me. And if I bump into one, it's going to reset me and bring me back into the road. Yep. But I'm going the right direction and yep. I'm going a proper speed and yep. I'm going, you know, like the minute I uh, decide to turn up a, a hard left and mm-hmm. 90 degree myself right into a guardrail, I'm probably yep. going to go through it. Mm-hmm. And that's going to lead to chaos. Either I'm falling off a cliff or I'm in a ditch. Yeah. Um, and it's like, the, the idea I think of people saying like, oh, you know, just Christianity is all rules. And, you know, I just like I, I rejected it from my childhood because it just was a bunch of rules I had to follow. It's like 
I get where you're coming from there. And actually what you're probably really saying is that the, that there were like hypocritical people who were trying to force you to be obedient to things that they weren't being obedient to or holding you to a standard that they themselves yep. didn't hold up. But if you're in a loving community that cares about your best, like yep. they're in it for your good, then you can submit to those, those rules, yeah. which are, yeah. I want to continue to not to call them rules, but they're yeah. guidelines. Yep. They're, life-giving law that we see lived out in jesus's life and it's like then you go from a legalism situation to a uh, you know it's not that i have to i get to the best thing for me is to yeah when i think the more that we dig into we understand the the why behind the rules Mm -hmm. like i grew up in a church where you did not ask questions so if you were told something like hey we can't do this and it's like, well, why not? Because mm-hmm. kids are curious and they ask questions. I always got to just because, because the pastor said so, because the Bible says so, whatever it is. And when you just tell people that, like our human nature is just to sure. rebel against that. Like, yeah. don't tell me what to do. Um, Mark, I know you've never thought that mm. in your life. Um, but <laughs> when got, we... I got thrown out of Sunday school at 13. <laughs> of course you Asking did. too many questions. But when you look at it and you're like, the Bible says not to do this because God has something better for you and he wants this, then it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. He just, God has something better for me. Like he can see the full picture. Yeah. My example of this that I, I have shared this before, but so the college that I graduated from Christian school at the time, they had some pretty strict rules as far as lifestyle. So they Mm -hmm. had like a statement they had to sign. Megan knows this because she went there too. Um, A few years later, a few years later. And some of those rules were like, no TVs in the dorm rooms, no dancing, because <laughs> that was a huge issue. I got to have dancing. a TV. Uh, like no drinking, <laughs> no alcohol consumption, even yep. if you were 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like just this list of things. Some of them like totally made sense, like no premarital sex. Like that's a good one, right? <laughs> um, but then there were other ones that were like super conservative. And I remember having conversations with students, like my fellow students, and they were like complaining about it and they were so upset. And I was like, well, hey, the joke's on you because you signed it. You chose to come here. Yeah, you agreed. But the thing I'd always say that I kind of came to, and this is like, I'm not that smart. So I don't know how I got to this conclusion. But I realized that like, you know, not only did I choose this institution to attend, but like I am paying them to teach me, to help form me as not only like, you know, wisdom wise, knowledge wise, but also like as uh, my personality, my yeah, character, character, things like that. Values. So I kind of, I saw the, that lifestyle statement and those rules as like a way in a similar sense that like I'm submitting to those rules so that I can be better. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to help me build character. And even though I don't agree with all of them, I can still submit to them. And, you know, I just, I kind of viewed it in that sense. Like, and so I think that's similar to like what we're talking about here, where it gets a little confusing. And we talked about this in our small group this last week was, you know, uh, I think it's Paul says, we should probably look this one up too. Paul <laughs> says that J- uh, Jesus came to abolish the law through his death on the cross and then resurrection. And that means that's talking about like the Mosaic law, which was the system by which, you know. Sorry, I just want to stop you didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus himself says that came to fulfill the law. Right. That's yes. Yeah. Not, he right. didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. Right. So the point of that is that like he, Jesus, those was are Jesus's words, creating a new system by which yep. we could 
like restore our relationship with God, right? right? Yep. Because the old system was through sacrifice and like atonement, like we have to pay for the mistakes that we make. That's not necessarily what's being talked about here. The law here that's being talked about are like, like um, just the good things that like Jesus talked about doing. Like those are the guardrails. Those aren't the things that get us to heaven though, right? It's just, these are the guardrails that, once you have that heart change, like you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's what you should want to do those things. Right. You should want to submit to that type of lifestyle. Yeah. At a certain point, you make a choice that living like Christ is the most fulfilling life I can mm -hmm. lead. And then you desire it, mm -hmm. which is hard to think about. It's, you know, like desiring discipline and desiring like, accountability um, yeah like a decision to chase after god to pursue god mm -hmm. it's a good name for a church um chase after god church yes this is uh the sermon on the mount <laughs> yeah. in matthew right. 5 yeah um in verse 17 say seven okay Five yeah. seventeen. no is i was gonna say matthew 7 that was, oh. I was off by two chapters matthew 5 yep yeah okay. yeah i didn't come to abolish the law i came to fulfill it yep. yeah right so and I think a lot of people are like, I'm perfectly happy to have Jesus as my savior. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to live like him. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm happy that he made a sacrifice for me. And this is great. I'll accept that sacrifice. But like, I don't want to go the extra step of actually like putting into practice the things that he put into practice, which if again, and we've talked about this quite a bit, like this is a theological concept. If we don't see it in Jesus's life, we have to go back and question the theology that we have. Mm -hmm. And if we're not living the way Jesus lived, we're not putting the law into practice. Yeah, it looks like him. Yeah, mm -hmm. if you're trying to figure out how to apply the law, it's like this is why. How do we get bogged down in legalism? Jesus didn't. Yeah. How do we get bogged down in judgment? Jesus didn't. You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting is like he always challenges people with their sin, but he never starts the conversation with their sin. Yeah. Like yeah. when he's talking to the woman at the well, in uh, he, he's just like. He doesn't start with, hey, lady, you've lived in seven houses with all these different men. Like he starts with, hey, you're a human being and I'm a human being. Can I have a drink? Mm -hmm. Like he's connecting with somebody before any conversation about what is, you know, going on. So to me, it's like we somehow get judgmental. We somehow get legalistic. We somehow get uh, bogged down by these these rules. It's like. Yeah, Jesus put him into practice. Show us what it looks like. It's not that hard to figure out how yeah. to apply this. Maybe the only time that he did do that was when uh, the cripple was lowered through the roof. The first thing he says to the cripple is, "Your sins are forgiven." Right. Right. So, like he's not like, "Hey, how's it going?" I, the thing I love about that story is like his. I'm sure his friends are like, uh, "Jesus, yeah, like, not what like, we were going for." <laughs> uh, that's great. That's really cool. But which is probably why he started he's, with sin. No, he was talking directly to. Forget about the guy on the mat and the guys on the roof. Yeah. He was talking directly to the Pharisees when he did that. Yeah, totally. he looked right. He, I, none of this is in there. This is New Mark International <laughs> Version, hundred percent. He looked right at the Pharisees and went, "Hey, this guy's sins are forgiven," and like was like, "Mic drop. What you gonna do now?" <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Like, like let's go. And could look right into their hearts and see that they were judging him because, like, who yeah. can forgive sin? I mean, any God fearing Jew would have been like, "You can't forgive sin." Like, sorry. And then he's like, "Oh, hang, hang on." watch your me. sins are forgiven yeah, yeah i know i know what you're thinking yeah. oh what's harder forgiving his sins or having him get up and walk and they're like well i mean i guess if and he's like hey why don't you get up and the guy gets up and they're like well what are we supposed to do now like 
I guess maybe he can forgive sins, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that was a, a yeah. performative uh, yeah. moment where he was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to challenge your wrong assumptions immediately, call them out. You know, and we always give the Pharisees a really hard time because later on they're villains. But in that moment, they're actually just checking Jesus out and probably mixed in are like ones who are like unsure about Jesus and then ones who've already decided about Jesus. And there's probably ones that don't know much about Jesus. So they're like astonished and their choice is going to be made after they see yeah. that happen. For some reason in my mind, like I picture the Pharisees all wearing like the same leather jackets or maybe like Leatherman jackets or something like they're in like a gang. They're definitely something. in robes. And no, head. man, you gotta, you <laughs> like, gotta think Ben Shapiro. Like it's not, it's not leather jackets. Can you see that guy wearing a leather jacket? So and half the people at home are like, who's Ben Shapiro? Don't. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. You don't and like Jesus is kind of like half reclined political enough like a charcuterie board as like this guy's being lowered down through the roof. And he's like, oh, I knew that was going to happen charcuterie board. <laughs> oh boy yeah jesus was super bougie that's for sure in the bible <laughs> you can look that one up megan where's that um so okay so just you know the the idea of legalism the idea of being reborn and then you know i think um you know we we landed on the these three things testify about christ the blood the water the spirit and I, we went through that but like it was you know the baptism going to the cross and the spirit testifying about who jesus is so if you're like unclear about who Jesus is in that time they were fighting over that. I still think today that's a problem for us. We we have all these ideas about who Jesus is. And, you know, we don't take him at his word. We just like, you know, the arguments out there are just cherry picking his best teachings and going, we like this, mm-hmm. but like the rest of this is obviously not what he said or obviously it's not who he was. Or, or filling in blanks like, I would have done it this way, so I'll put that on Jesus. Yeah. It's yeah. like you can't, you, you can't just pick and choose. You can, yep. you can either agree with him or not agree with him. But I mean, he very clearly stated that he was the son of God. He very clearly forgave sins, which only God can do. You know, he very clearly said what his plan was going to be. He told the disciples multiple times he was going to go to the cross. Like he fulfilled, this is one thing I didn't put in there, but he fulfilled, I mean, untold amount of prophecy. Like one of the things I was reading about was that, you know, talked about how, his hands and feet would be pierced. His garments would be, um, see where you look. Uh, Sorry. And, and it's like, that was 200 ish years before anyone was ever um, crucified. Mm-hmm. So like the prophecy about his hands and feet being pierced was not in reference to crucifixion because it was actually before crucifixion right. existed. Yeah. And you're like, well, this all like came about, perfectly that you know all these prophecies were fulfilled in in him it's like you can either believe or not but it's not fair to go i'm going to pick and choose his best teachings that i like love your enemies you know like turn the other cheek yeah um you know uh those kinds of things and then go but the rest of it's it's, yeah it's bunk you know like no way this is not an a la carte right there's a lot of debate and there's several different camps of how many actual Old Testament prophecies regarding a Messiah that Jesus actually fulfilled. But the working number that many people agree on is that it was over 300. Yeah. yeah. In my head, I had around four, but yeah. yeah. And there's some ones that are like, I mean, just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Like how, how crazy specific. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, we, it wasn't even in Jesus's hands to try to fulfill them. Let's say he memorized all those and was trying to fulfill them through his life. Like some of the things he couldn't have, you know, he couldn't have controlled. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like he was yeah. trying to do this. 
you know, and you're like, well, then they, they wrote it that way. Well, I mean, you at some point have to trust the eyewitness of people who uh, were with him, then wrote it out, then went to a horrible martyr's death. Like, you'd think one of those guys would have been like, nope, all fake. Yeah. At some point before they were stoned <laughs> to death, hung upside down and crucifixed. Like some of the worst martyrs deaths were the disciples who went to their graves saying the same thing. I've, I've been really committed to this bit for most of my life. Yeah. But, but... You know, now when the rubber meets the road, uh, just so you guys know. Take it back. Like, <laughs> hey, put that rock down. Yeah. <laughs> like, hold on, guys. I made it up. I made it up. It's like, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and then, so to me, that, that was kind of the main, main concept. So he's like, he's basically saying, to them again jesus was physical these things happened to him mm -hmm. you know he he operated through the holy spirit you can too he went to the cross as a sacrifice for all mankind that changed everything you know he didn't stay dead he rose from the grave that was the blood testifying about who he was and then the spirit which is what we receive now which uh in uh john chapter boy it's somewhere <laughs> 13 15 probably 15 um where jesus is like giving his last sermon to the disciples yeah. he says like it's good for me to go so the holy spirit will come yeah you'd rather have the holy spirit and the holy spirit will guide you in all truth so like if you're unsure the holy spirit is here to illuminate the truth and guide us towards the truth so i'm probably did i get that right we're fact checking as we speak we're we're like dead set against just throwing stuff at the wall. Megan was laughing at me before because I was trying to type. And do I reach over the microphone to type or do I go underneath? Yeah, that's what was funny. So is it John 15? I think so. Uh anyway. Yeah, Megan, you can start talking about the other stuff now. Okay. <laughs> we have a list. Um, yeah, we wanna we wanna come back to our conversation from last week. Yeah. Um but not be quite as depressed um, <laughs> because I think we have a tendency to read and listen and take in all this information and, and all these stories that have happened at churches and watching um, people fail and churches fail. And it can just get really depressing. Mm -hmm. um, I watched the docuseries on Hillsong last Tuesday night. So like last Wednesday was a real weird day for it me. It is rough. Um, I was like, in a, a. Did you watch Mark? Uh, enough. Parts yeah, of it. I, I get through the whole thing. I was in a it. weird place last Wednesday. Um, Can I just say, like, when I saw how you were reacting to it, I was like, "Oh, it can't be that bad." Like, did she listen to Rise and Fall? It's like, a, it was a cult. I a hundred percent resonate with how you feel because I watched it in in my naivety. Like, I, <laughs> for so it can't long, be that bad. So it's about Hillsong in Australia, and for so long, I told you guys this. I was just like. Oh, Hillsong, like their worship music's great. Like it's, it's so yeah, comforting to know that there's a really great. great church in Australia doing really great things. And then you watch this yeah. um, series. It's John chapter 14. Yeah. Um, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you yep. of everything that I have said to you. And then in the beginning of this section, John 14, 15. Um, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, the world can't accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. He lives with you, and He will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans; I will come to you. So, 
essentially the promise of the Holy Spirit and then the illumination of truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of those are in John chapter 14. Love yeah. it. Buttoned up. Got you. Yeah. Um, but what we keep coming back to as a staff and what I want us to kind of focus on today is like, what can we learn from these stories? Um, what can we use as guardrails or guidelines to, to help keep us from falling into those same pitfalls? Uh, so we're going to be a little bit more upbeat today, a little bit more positive. Um, productive. Hello, and productive. productive. Yeah, I productive. like productive. We lamented last week. Um, Let's get productive. We definitely lamented, and there's a space for that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to skip lamenting right. because it's heartbreaking. Um, but we well, still... I got to crack a cold one. <laughs> but we still have hope. Right. Um, so we have come up with a list Day drinking. of six... And could I just say something real quick? Yeah. <laughs> like... I know this because we've talked about this like probably a dozen times, like maybe more than that. I, we know that some of you who are listening feel and resonate with some of the ways that we're experiencing and processing, digesting these things too. I mean, just some of this week was telling us about a very personal experience mm-hmm. that they had. Um, so, you know, just to kind of say what Megan's saying is that w- the reason we're talking about these things is not to like highlight the failures and not to like, dig deep and investigatively and like find out the real reason why something failed. It's more like we've been sensing these issues. We know we've been, we've been feeling it in our guts for decades and maybe you have too. And so it's the admonishment to do better, Uh to be better for the kingdom. I really do think about this a lot and maybe I'm even in this camp, honestly, like Mm -hmm. I think people are kind of in the place where like, all right, this is the last chance. Like Mm -hmm. the church has one more shot. If the church, if we can't get this figured out where it's a safe place, a healthy yeah. place mm-hmm. where like yeah, the leaders are humble, where narcissism isn't controlling the day, where we're not all focused on the, you know, just the butts and seats and dollars yeah. in the offering, then maybe I've had enough of this. And I think there's some people that have already walked away. Yeah. Well, I was going to say too, like there is this untold number of people for the last century have been walking away from the American church for a variety of reasons. And they've just been silent. It's just been their story. And and not only is this painful and excruciating to go through as Christ followers, but it's a huge opportunity to like hear those people maybe for the first time and to like offer them a way back to something better. Yeah. The worst thing we can do is become defensive and further vilify someone who's processing their pain even if they're doing it in a way that's not fair yeah (laughs) like like we like we got to get beyond being defensive about that and keep inviting people back into a healthy version of it yeah and just say look like you're right i mean again acknowledging Mm -hmm. that people have been through really incredibly difficult things and then to say to them i might have been in the same situation as you if i dealt with what you dealt with Mm. And then to say, we're trying our hardest yep. to make sure that we do this differently. Yeah. And it's what drives, one of the things that drives us. Yep. You know? Yeah. So what are some of those? Oh. So, yeah. yeah. First thing on that list is transparency. Mm. Um, I think for a long time, there was like this, I don't know, hush, hush, church leadership happened behind closed doors. And you just had to trust people were doing the right thing. You couldn't ask questions. I grew up in a church where you couldn't ask questions. Um, and you just had to have faith in those who were in leadership. And I ideally, we would be able to. Like, ideally, those people in leadership would be people who were trustworthy. 
Um, but I think <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Like we have yeah. seen now time after time how either they weren't trustworthy and we trusted them because of their position or somewhere along the line something happened and, and they lost that trust. But the answer is transparency. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of leaders who have had some sort of, you know, fall from grace. And um, in part, what has happened to them is that their influence has grown at such a pace that it's like outpaced their character. And that has helped create situations where they can make horrific decisions or they can abuse yep. people or do different things. Yeah, And so, you know, Growing up, I remember thinking like my senior pastor and he's still out here. He's alive like that I had growing up. Maybe he's listening. Probably not. Um, I don't even know if he knows what computers are. To be honest with you. Just kidding. Uh, but I just remember always thinking like, yeah, he's the best. Like he's such a godly man, you know, and I'm sure he is like, but there was always just this like we willingly surrendered our our like accountability to these leaders right. to just be like oh yeah this is god's man you know yeah. and this is across even like in the catholic church with priests and things like we just assume that they're better than us and they make the right decisions all the time and like why wouldn't they they're the pastor or the priest or whoever yep. the minister and i think like this transparency piece gets to transparency like in both directions sure like the leader should want to be transparent about their actions and what they're doing, maybe even with their struggles too, so that the people that they're leading that are submitting to that leader can say like, yes, I want to help this leader if they are struggling or if they are doing things. Because I think one of the bad things that happens in these situations is that there's very little, if any room for restoration or reconciliation. Mm -hmm. It's almost always like, yeah, you're fired. You're done. You're gone. And then that person may or may not like do ministry again which most times is probably a good thing. But I know people who have had falls from grace who are like still great leaders who I think if they went through some sort of a restoration process could lead again. But like it there's did, not really an opportunity for that because yeah. there's no transparency and there's no, there's nothing there. And it's like, I'm not even so much advocating for those leaders who have had fallen from grace. If it sounds like that, I'm more just saying that transparency is, is both directions because people shouldn't just blindly follow anyone, but Jesus and like, sure. Uh, the leaders should want transparency from their subordinates. They should want people to know who they are and how they work too. Like, I think that's such a huge piece. Yeah. I mean, sorry, <laughs> brain working overtime, thinking of things. Can I say that? Should I say that? Um, hundred percent agree. There's a thing that happens and it's weird. Cause maybe funny is the right word, but it's weird. Cause, um, I've noticed this a lot in, I'll just give the example of the stream I came out of, right? The charismatic stream. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's a weird, the pastor is God's man. And he, what he says goes, and I use the word he purposefully. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, we can't really like challenge his authority. He's been yeah. given this authority by God. He's put in this position to you know do god's work and speak to us on god's yeah. behalf and it's like there's a weird amount of idol worship even just in the term pastor sometimes oh yeah when it comes to the way that people see things and it's like i i'm like one of those people that like i think we just need to demystify the idea of a pastor a pastor is a shepherd there i mean i 
I pray that your pastor, I mean, in your situation, I could tell you that it's true, but that in any pastor would be seeking God's face and trying to lead the congregation in a humble way, every way possible, mm-hmm. and would not be in it for themselves, would be in it to to see people's, you know, or I guess even to like see people be successful in their own walks with Jesus in their own lives and see growth in them, but also to like make sure that we're all on the same page to like accomplish the mission that God's given us. So like, but there's nothing, you know, it's not like when in the old Testament, when, you know, they would like anoint a new King and pour the oil over his head and the Holy spirit would descend on this person. Like Mm -hmm. it's a completely different situation than what we're talking about. Yeah. Like the pastor's, were given authority in the new Testament because they had been with Jesus. They're given authority because they were decent leaders. Like they were doing their best to lead their congregations and maybe they're venerated over time because they're wise and they've gained everyone's trust. Yeah, that's fine. But when you just immediately say to somebody who's a pastor, like there's something special or different about you, it's like, we need to demystify that word. Yeah. Like they're the servant to the congregation. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. tying in here the second one, uh, which is don't put pastors up on pedestals. No, they fall off every yeah, time. Every time. Every time. There, There is nothing that your pastor has that like brings them up. That There's no like hierarchy here as believers. Right. Um, we are human. I speak for us around this table. Extremely human. Um, <laughs> we fail. There's no like arrival to where we have it all together and... There's no like, well, all speak, right, speak now, for yourself. now <laughs> I have the title so I can move up the ladder to the next thing. Um, anytime that happens, yeah. all it leads to is your pastor being isolated because the only other people that then can be around them are other pastors. And that just leads to failure. Right. Every time. Like, yep. it's, ugh, it makes yeah, me so angry. That isolation part. I can't tell you how many pastors like on Twitter or like at conferences Mm -hmm. or whatever talk about just how isolated they feel. Yeah. Their lack of relationships or lack of friends. Yeah. The fact that if they lose their job, they lose all their friends. The fact that they have trouble even having friends because the way that people see them, the way they treat them. Yep. And it's like, um, that's not a healthy thing to isolate somebody. In fact, if if you want to like, talk about some of the worst things that have happened over the past couple of years. I think what you would see is, uh, I think what you'd see is like even Bill Hybels, like if we were to like pull Bill Hybels out, like he was super isolated. Like he's the CEO and kind of set apart from everybody yeah. else in his ivory tower. And it's like, was there anybody speaking into his life? Was he allowing anyone in? Were people yep. even trying to be friends yeah. with him? You get like this, this uh, board that is just like a, a pastor affirmation <laughs> cheering circle. Right. And they're, yeah. they see their job is like, I got to protect the ministry. Yeah. I got to protect this guy. Yeah. So whatever happens, I need to make sure that, that if there's an allegation or if there's something going on, like that we make this go away. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can't even fault those people for that because again, they're like looking at the fruit of the ministry and they don't want to be the one that messes it up. And it's yeah. like, it's all, it's almost like more important now when there is an allegation against a pastor for you to bring in a third party to like, suss it out completely and fairly yeah because people will go to that place of trying to protect that person because of yeah you know they're like i don't know because there's a there's a sense of loyalty there like this is your pastor you want to protect them you want to protect the church the ministry that's happening um 
but we can't. How many times? Who is this that's commenting on here? Hundred percent true. Aaron looks like deer meat for dinner. Yeah, I don't know. There's, if there's a reference there, I don't. Understand. I don't get it. So, um, can I just tell you? I got a I got a email yesterday from a Cowboy Church in Wisconsin. That's what they call themselves, Cowboy Church. Okay. And they told me that I had come, I had gone under their radar, and that they had seen me as a really good candidate for their pastor position. And oh. they said they said something to the effect of, "You don't have to be a cowboy, but we're looking for an outdoorsman, somebody who loves to hunt and fish." And I was like, they know nothing about me. <laughs> You're like an avid endorsement. But, but let me tell you, a cold call email saying that I'm special, it hit right in the feels. I was like, yeah, I'm special. Yes, I'm I'm yeah. cut out for your position. I'm glad you enjoyed that. In rural Wisconsin. Uh, Get out of here. I think there's a veneration in general in Christian culture for their leaders. Yeah. Like, yeah. In, unless you have a reason yeah. to not trust them and support them, then you do. And we want to have somebody to look look to um we just gotta stop putting them on a pedestal yeah um so this or this list by the way is not in any like ranking order sure sure these are just things we thought of um the next one is not making growth the main thing like if if the main focus of your church is to just get bigger Can we, yeah we define to growth. have more people in seats on sundays right. more people in yeah. small groups more people more kids in your church like if that is the main focus then you have already lost. If I'm going to get personal here and tell my personal story in the last church or uh -huh. in the church that I won't name, that could be any of the churches I was a part of, uh, but had to make it weird. We made a shift. <laughs> it was a very clear shift, and yep. it was the day that everything started to go sideways. Yeah. yeah. We brought in some consultants to help us double our impact. Uh -huh. That was the phrase that we used, and we defined to double our impact by having twice as many people come and twice as much financial uh, input. Yep. And we decided that in order to see that happen, that made Sunday's game day, right? And when we shifted in that direction, everything went off the rails. Yep. Up until that point, we cared a lot, a lot about a lot of other things. We actually had a dashboard of things we measured it included baptisms. It included um, child dedications. It yeah. included uh, the amount of people in small groups, the percentage of people that we had in our group, in our yep. church, the amount it, it included the amount of people serving in our church. Like these were all metrics that we wanted to measure that were like um, measurements of health. And when we kind of just pushed all that to the side and said, we're going to count the number of people and we're going to count the amount of money. Yep. Everything went off the rails. Because now our focus has changed from big k kingdom to use some of our own language right to just our kingdom yep like the kingdom of this church let's grow our own thing mm -hmm. instead of focusing on kingdom work yep. and i think it can you can almost justify it in saying you know if we have more people in seats we have more people giving if we have more people giving then we can hire more staff who can then do more ministry Right. So like you can justify yourself to get there mm -hmm. that the focus is actually on ministry, but you lose it along the way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if like someone were to ask us, like the staff of the church, all of us, do we want pursuit to grow? I think we would probably all say yes, like maybe with a caveat, right? Uh, so growth just on its own isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it can't be the thing. It can't replace the gospel or the importance of the gospel 
because like you're saying, Megan, you know, if we if more people are joining pursuit and joining the mission, then we are fulfilling, you know, our values and we're impacting the kingdom. We're, you know, sharing the gospel, we're reaching people for Christ. So that's a good thing. Like, but it's not the thing. Yeah. And I think there are churches that like they get that really confused. Sometimes intentionally sometimes not intentionally it just kind of becomes the yeah. thing like we do measure those things yeah yeah we don't stop measuring them yeah they just can't be the focus can't be the focus right yeah, yeah. yeah. and i think of like we take attendance every sunday um but one of the first not, things not attendant we count the amount of people sure yeah. we count we yeah. count the people because the 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 attendance word goes to what who swabbing lenders <laughs> uh you know um we count the number of people. And the first thing I think of is I compare that number to the number of people I know are in our database. And yeah, yeah. how many people are actually could, in church. could be there. Like, yeah. how many people are, are coming, are attending? How many people are connected? Um, because, because that goes to the health of our church. Sure. Like the health of people. It's a measurement. And their relationships. It's not the main thing. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not the only thing we do. It's yeah. one of the me, things. Me and Marty will have a conversation afterwards and we'll just be like kind of going through the morning. And, you know, this this week was a good example. It felt full, felt awesome. Tons yeah. and tons of energy. It's like it feels like everybody's back and looked at the number and the number made sense. It, mm -hmm. Like there's a magic number in the room where all of a sudden it feels like the church is like got energy. And there's yeah. a number where if you're below that, yeah. I care much more about that feel. Yep. So we're talking about that. And then we usually go to, hey, who didn't we see? Yeah. Oh, we didn't see them. Oh, but they're like, they just had a baby. Yeah. Oh, we didn't see them. They're it's on at, Facebook. They're, they're on town. vacation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we didn't see them. Oh, we haven't seen them in three or four weeks. Yeah. And then we like, we like talk about it and like, hey, I'll reach out to them this yeah. week. There's, it's much more uh, shepherding. Yeah. Like viewpoint. Yep. And that's where I think those numbers are important. Yeah. Because we're caring about, hey, we haven't seen somebody in three weeks. And, mm -hmm. you know, what are they? Is there yeah. something going on? Can I help? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. I mean, I think what we're talking about is not what we do because it, it is hand in hand. Like we, you have to, if you're decent at what you do, you have to be aware of the numbers and have metrics. And mm -hmm. you should want to have growth because that means that you're in, in some ways accomplishing your mission. Right. right. But then there are other churches that are willfully ignorant of everything else that the Bible tells us about what the body of Christ does. And they just focus on expansion. They just focus on growth. And that's, and that's a problem. Like mm -hmm. they package church really well to make it look really appealing. And if you feel good when you're there, you hear a great message, you might hear the best worship songs of your life played really well by studio musicians, but like it's missing everything else. And then that in part lends to like those churches say all the right things. But when you look at their actions, which is like something we teach our kids, it's like, don't, you know, like, don't just say it, you have to do it too. Yeah. Right. And and that's really kind of, I think what we're getting to is we need to de-emphasize growth so that it's not about just expansion. Like it needs to be about. Remind me I did that. Coach, I'm not getting the signs. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one, which is another topic that we've, we've talked about a lot recently and one that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, but it's men and women working well together. Yep. Hey, woo. Um, uh -oh. it might be more important. Controversial. It's it's more important now, probably, than we've ever thought. Yeah. Because a lot of these issues, you you can't talk me out of the idea that these issues wouldn't have been mitigated by women on the on the elder board. Yep. Like somebody mm -hmm. would have stopped and said, Well, 
we got to stop this train and go backwards yeah. and fix this and bring in a third party and do something here. Yeah. We're not going to sweep this under the rug. We're going to listen to somebody who yeah. has a legit allegation. Like, um, and two, I think if you had men and women working together successfully and it was a part of your culture all the way through your church, it would, that healthiness would kind of mitigate some of these issues where you've either got, the men who are in power, the power differential of men being in power and women being subservient to them often leads to these roles being like used in ways that are unhealthy. Yeah. And I think like if those two things were happening well in most churches, we would have a lot less issues with the sort of scandalous relationships or affairs or abuse. Yeah. Like, there's a there's a whole time or there's a whole spectrum of things that go wrong in those situations because it's not just a chorus of yes men right it's it's a variety of perspectives and opinions yes when, who are still on the on point with the mission but they're they yeah. aren't just blindly supporting one person because they're all the same right. right when i think i we can agree men and women their brains work differently yes um yep. so when presented with a How topic dare you they're gonna ask different questions they're going to come at it from a different perspective. Um, and it's just, it, it's just better. It is just have all the voices around the table. Um, so that there are some churches, you know, they have women on staff, but if you look at the actual like leadership right. roles, it's tokenism. Like, yep. Yeah, we can say we have women on staff. They have no power. They just do the things. And to be fair in some of those situations, the women have had that mindset because it's been drilled in them because since it's the they only were, thing they've yep. seen it's crazy because there was certain situations i've been in a ministry maybe not recent but like where we're encouraging uh you know one of the women on staff to kind of take a larger role or step into a yeah and like was hey i don't want to be the one that rocks the boat i don't want to be the one yeah. that yeah. that steps out into this leadership role this is going to cause division in our church like and yep. it's almost like, wait a second, <laughs> like, yeah, I think we're doing this right. Yep. I have to, I have to win this woman towards the idea that this is a good thing. Yeah, and it's like that's how insidious sometimes the church culture yep. has gotten. Yep, and we're so far behind. Um, just yeah. So if we can just have those examples of having women at all levels of leadership, so that other women can be like, oh hey, I can do that, like. Right. Um, might be the best person for it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I think I already told the story, but I'm going to tell it again. Cause I like it. Um, but when we were in Florida, I got to talk to a pastor who had previously told me, yeah, I don't know. The Bible says women shouldn't be pastors. So that's just kind of where I'm going to land. Um, to this year, having him be like, my woman, my, my wife, <laughs> sorry, my wife, <laughs> my woman. I mean, that would he still hasn't line. learned. <laughs> yeah, he still hasn't learned. Very my much wife with his is a really gifted speaker and I don't know what to do with that. And I've been thinking about it a lot and I just don't think God would give her those gifts and then tell her not to do anything with it. <laughs> and it's just like, yes, yeah, bro. like That's your right. mind is being blown right now because you're having to consider things that you just made your mind up about before. Right. And I think often we make our mind up about it and just don't want to wade into the messiness yep. of what it might look like and how countercultural it is. Um, although I would argue now that culture is far beyond yeah. where we are at the church. Christian culture. Um, 
but yeah, so let's just work well together. And I, I will say, I think if it were all women leadership as well, it would fail uh, just as much as all male leadership would. I think it'd fail in different ways right. and it would look different, but it would fail as well. I'll, I'll be the one That's to say that. a good point. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever thought about that. Yeah, I, I think it would fail in different ways. It didn't work ways, out but, well in Ephesus. But it would fail. Um, that we have to be together. Temple of Artemis. It, it has to be be both. Well, when we work together, we are better represent God. Yeah. You know, like, and that's not just like genders, but also like, you know, different ethnicities too. You sure. Know? Yep. Different backgrounds, experiences. Yep. Get different voices at the table. Yeah. Both <clears throat> men and women were made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Men were not made in the image of God and then women just are there like we're both made in the image of god sorry i just started singing in my head because if we are the body why okay his the next one healing. we're gonna keep moving the next one is leadership should not be one single person gabe like that um i'm glad <laughs> there needs to be a team of people making decisions and doing the heavy lifting and i think we see this done well when there are strong staff teams strong leadership teams whether that's your board of elders or whatever uh your finance team all those people working together this is not one single pastor calling the shots and everybody else just falling in line right i mean if we're being honest the pastor has lots of say and power to create this culture and needs to actively give away leadership which is really hard it almost goes back to like I always think about Washington, where you know he becomes the first president and mm-hmm. then steps out of it and has faith in the system that it will it'll do its job. Yep. Like we hey we designed this thing to be bulletproof and this is going to work. So I'm going to test it. I'm going to step out and let, allow somebody else to lead. And I think there's so many pastors who are controlling mm-hmm. that they can't let go of of details. Yep. And I think. If you're a good leader, you can train people, cast a vision, help them understand what your expectations are. Yeah. And then allow them uh, places where they can improve or change things and let them know where that, like, where the sandbox is that they yeah. get to play in. Yep. Define that. You cast the vision. And then let them yeah. go. And it's yep. like, if you're going to be a solid pastor, like, and I think we've had to learn this as we've started the church, like, you got to keep giving things away. Yep. Because and I feel like my my role often is just like go over here, fix this, give it away. Go over here, fix this, give it away. Yep. Like put my hands in here for a second, get this all figured out. Yeah. Give it to somebody else. Like yep. this ties to the humility of your pastor. Like, are they willing to say, Hey, maybe I can't do everything? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe, shouldn't. Yeah. Like we talk about this a lot. We Mark and I since the very beginning, like, what is the ten percent? of things that only you can do as the lead pastor. Right. Um, and historically we've defined that as you're doing most of the preaching, right. you're setting the culture and you're setting the vision. Yep. And if it's outside of that, we have to find somebody else. Yep. And Ooh. even in that, the team is helping me set the yep. vision, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm taking influence from the whole staff. Yep. When we have our directional leadership team available, our version of whatever the elder board is traditionally, I'll be taking their, Yep. Responsibility or they'll be the ones advising as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to be humble. And I yeah. mean, I'm obviously the most humble person that's ever existed. Obviously. obviously. Clearly. The most humble. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel you, like if there, there was yeah. there was a situation a Is couple a years belt, ago. A belt um, for humility that I where wear? we were 
we were trying to make a decision and we presented that to the advisory team at the moment who was kind of like our practice board. Yep. Um, and I remember we finished that conversation and I was talking with Mark and he was like, I don't know if I agree with the decision or like the recommendation that they made, but I asked for their opinion and now I have to choose whether I take it or if I ignore it. Right. Um, and credit to you. I feel like I ignored it. You didn't. No? Good. You took their recommendation <laughs> um, and we yeah. made a decision that was probably contrary to one that you would have made sure. on yeah. your own. Um, but you, you have to be willing to invite people into the decision-making and then actually follow through and take their recommendations. Like yeah. you can't just invite people in and be like, well, I think that's stupid. So I'm going to no ignore that. Like, can I dovetail this into another should have been on the list, but it wasn't. Yeah. It was this. Uh -huh. um, I think this, it gets harder and harder as the stakes get higher and higher. Yeah. Like, and again, being on churches where our budget was almost $2 million and then being on churches where our budget was like $300,000. There's a massive amount of difference about how comfortable you feel giving things away when you know you're managing all that, yep. all those resources. And to me, our philosophy of ministry is really important. Yeah. We do not have this idea that we'll be, and I, I don't know how how much I've communicated this on this podcast. So if I've said this before, forgive me. But uh, if I'm being perfectly honest with my own leadership, I think like I could probably lead a church that's four or five hundred. Mm. I think we could top out at four or five hundred in the community center before we'd have to make some significant change, go to a different building, do something different. You know, there are opportunities out there if we could ever talk um, the city into letting us use Irondale. It would be we would, could obviously have more people than that. But I'm not sure my personal leadership mm. would allow me to lead a yeah. church bigger than that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so I've always thought about like my influence is kind of capped to my leadership. And if I don't grow my leadership, then that's going to be the end of it. And I'm OK with that. Like I don't pine after a 10,000 person church. I don't think that I'm that kind of leader. Yeah. Um, but praise God, <laughs> but the way that I do want to have influence in the world beyond just our couple hundred people, whatever that looks like is by through church planting. Mm. Yeah. When you decentralize that and you go, okay, so now we have Cindy and Corey who are planning an amazing church in white bear. It's like, we, I just had a friend who went and visited them this weekend and she was just raved about it. Yeah. Like, they're doing a great thing. They're going to be a couple hundred people in, you know, a year or two, three from now. And then they're going to plant. Yep. And we're going to plant again. And then those plants are going to plant again. And so over like, yep. let's just say 30 years, you know, you can be responsible for the birth of churches that influence thousands of people <laughs> without having to centralize it in one location where it's all about you. Yep. Like I could sit back you know, let's just say 30 years from now and be like, you know, feeling like I went far beyond my personal leadership in the influence that I could have regionally mm -hmm. through these other churches. And the other beautiful thing about it is if there is a massive problem in one of these churches, it's isolated to that congregation. So it only affects the couple hundred people, mm -hmm. right? And it mm -hmm. doesn't destroy the entire legacy of, you know, leadership that you've seen come out of. And I, I learned this philosophy you know, the minute I heard this philosophy, which really was David Soren who 
kind of shared this with me, the pastor at uh, Renovation, who himself will be the pastor of a couple thousand person church. He already is. Like, yeah. um, he has a, a much higher ceiling. He's definitely an executive level pastor. Uh, like that would be his best role. Yeah. Um, and he's an evangelist, so he's great. But, but they're focused on church planting. They're focused on church planting. Yep. They don't care about the, the, and it almost like works better. Yeah. It's almost like at the end of the day, their church is bigger and more successful because their focus is outside of themselves. Yep. And I just feel like that philosophy is maybe more important than almost anything else right now. If we're saying, hey, we're big kicking to people, we're generous, we're going to invest outside of ourselves, we're going to, create churches that respond to their community uh, individually. So like a church in Moundsview does not look like a church in Maplewood or mm -hmm. White Bear or Stillwater yeah. or Maple Grove. Like these churches should all look very different depending on what community they're in. And we should have somebody who has a vision for that place to start their a new church. And we should get behind them and fund them and train them and coach mm -hmm. them. And that's the stuff that, that gets me jazzed up. Like, yeah. Meeting with Cindy and and Corey and and coaching them is like one of the most fun things I get to do, and no one in our church sees that. Yeah, they don't get to be part of it. They don't get to see what's going on there. It's almost like it's not even happening in most people's minds. Yeah, and I'm I get no credit for that, but I don't need the credit for it. To me, that's like the fun part about what we're doing, yeah. and it's that decentralized model that I think moves us forward as a big k church is a big k kingdom mm -hmm. the centralized model we've seen all you have to do is topple the head person and it all comes down well yeah. and the reality is that the bigger the church gets one single church the more you have to run it like a business yep. the more that you have yeah. to structure it to hold that ministry and i think when we do that this is where there are more openings and more possibilities for failure. Well, and like you were saying, you know, a few minutes ago, Megan talking about like the, what's the 10% or whatever that percentage is that only Mark can do. I think that's a good uh, mindset to have, like to frame that question. Cause it helps you understand what is actually important and what you can do. Only you can do. But I think for like a lead pastor that there's potential in that for bad, right. In the sense that like, let me just use you, Mark. If you're the one who's solely in charge of the vision and the mission as the church grows, you're going to hold that tighter and tighter and tighter because you don't want someone else's viewpoints or opinions to encroach on that or to ruin that or to like undermine it, you know? Right. And I think that's kind of, that is probably in part what happens at other churches where like, yeah. if that person is working in a vacuum by themselves or if they are the only person who can do that 10%, yeah. that that's an environment where like, narcissism can step in or pride can step in or like mm -hmm. only I can do this. So no one else can tell me how to do this. Like, yeah. I think it's important that we have that yeah. attitude of open-handedness mm -hmm. um, and, and believing that this is God's thing. Mm -hmm. Like Mark and I didn't build this. If it were up to us in our own strength, like we would have been done long ago. Yeah. My um, body's tried to tap out a couple times. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, <laughs> This is a God All thing. All of ours have. Um, <laughs> except for me. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that open-handed attitude, I, I think, is really important. Which yeah. um, comes back to humility. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yep. So, the next, uh, the last one we have on here, this is six, um, is stop glorifying those who do all the work themselves um, or, like, put the team on their back. 
those like pastors that work 5,000 hours that are running men's ministry right. and worship and, and are preaching and are doing outreach. And there's almost this like, man, look at that. Look at that person go. Like we like put them up on again, pedestal um, where it's like, no, that's just really unhealthy. Right. Like, When's the last time you were home and had dinner with your family right. that you weren't like at church every single night of the week? Um, so we have this tendency to be like, good job, like pat on the back. You're doing a great job. You have a really great work ethic. Um, instead of being like, hey, that that's unhealthy. Let's let's maybe not do that. Yeah. Yeah. I just met with um, the owner of the Arden Hills Chick-fil-A who also owns the Roseville Chick-fil-A. Mm. And had an interesting conversation with him about work-life balance. I was like, hey, you got two restaurants now and you just opened up this new one and you're obviously hustling. Every Chick-fil-A owner probably is, you know, yeah. just running as hard as they can, probably mm -hmm. hustling. And he was talking about how most people own one. Uh, he's able to own two and that the maximum they allow people to own is three because of the idea that work-life balance is impossible. Mm. And he said he felt like he was a good candidate to own multiple ones because what he was really good at was creating processes, empowering people, yeah. hiring good people mm -hmm. and letting them run with it to where the fact, you know, that his schedule now looks like he's, he's there early and he gets there early, but he's home by two. And yeah. he's like, I'm home by two. And I spend time with my family in the afternoons and evenings. And that's what I do. Yeah. And you know, it's like I'm at a place now where I can empower enough people and put them in the right positions yeah. and then they can go run. We got to stop acting like you working 70 hours a week is glorified. Like yeah. it's like it's a good thing. Yeah. There can be seasons in our year where we have to work a lot. Yeah. When we of kick course. off in the fall, we're in one right now. Like Easter is we're all putting in a little extra. That's okay. Uh, that needs to be uh we, we need to take the time later to make up yeah, for that. Yeah, balance it. Yes, but that work-life balance is super important, and we need to stop like glorifying this yep. like workaholic. Yeah. And I hope all of my former bosses are listening to this right now. <laughs> there's no. It's not acceptable to say I'm willing to sacrifice my family. Yep. I'm willing to sacrifice my mental health, yeah. my physical yeah. health right. for the ministry. In the long run, in the short run, that doesn't that's not a benefit to the kingdom. Right. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. We think that it's like, yeah, I'm willing to give anything. Great. Your mental health is important too. Like the fact that you spend yeah. time with your spouse or your kids or your family, or if you're single, your friends, like when's the last time you went out and just like hung out with a friend instead of having work all the time? Like yeah, these all the time, man. <laughs> these are important things. And it's, it's important to God that yeah. you're at a good place. Yeah. yeah. Not just laying everything well, down. I wish I could now go back and talk to my first boss who was like, he sat me down he was like CEO guy. I think I've talked to him. He's the one that gave me the re review. Uh -huh. uh, and he's like, Hey, you know, the famous review. He's like, listen, I expect you to put in 40 hours and then do another 10 to 15 because your volunteers, they work 40 hours a week and then they come and they volunteer 10 to 15 mm -hmm. on top of that. So I expect you to do 55, 50 to 55. Yep. And what I would say now, in the time I was like, yeah, that's what we got to do, of course. And yeah. the time my wife was struggling with health, we were newlyweds. Like the last thing I should have been doing was being out yeah. four nights a week yeah. till 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, but it's the worst thing for my marriage I could have possibly done. 
he should have stopped me and said, don't do this. Hey, go home. Yeah. Wednesday nights, you need to be out. The rest of the time, you need to be home. Like yeah. that needs, needs to be your focus. Uh, I would do that now for somebody. But Why? I wish I could sit there and be like, uh, your lack of uh, uh, boundaries in your work-life balance is not going to be transferred to me. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I would have said like, okay, great. You want me to get do 55 hours a week? Like uh, those two weeks at camp and the two mission trips? Boom. I'm working like close to 60 hours a week if you spread out throughout the whole yeah, year. Like, like, yeah. Well, the I thing sleep is, two he, hours a night yeah. those days. He was telling me 50 to 55 and he was doing like 70. Yeah. And he was like wanting me to go to 70, but he couldn't really ask yep. for it. He just wanted, he expected yeah. me to do it. I've yeah. talked to so many people who are part time in ministry who are like, yeah, I get paid for this many hours. But in reality, the expectation is that I just show up and do all the work until the work is done. Right. And the reality yeah. is, the work is never done. The yep. to-do list is never done. Yep. Not once in three and a half years have I like ended a day You're like, Woo! where like the to-do list was empty. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> Which nope. yes, is hard for somebody who likes to do lists and likes checking the boxes. Um, but you just you have to be able to prioritize. Blech. Yeah. Um, so we had a couple just like red flags that I want to yeah. talk about real quick. Um, and one is Aaron already said it's when your leadership ability outgrows your character. Yep. Um, so we talked about that. Um, the second one that I would say, and we've mentioned before, is when you don't have access to your pastor. If you can't go and either call your pastor or walk into their office a and like have member. a sit down right. or a staff member, that is a red flag. Yep. Um, last week on the podcast, we talked about uh, Carl and a pastor from New York who would show up to the venue right before he walked out onto the stage to preach, would go out and preach, get off stage, get into a car and drive to the next venue. There was no like hang out in the lobby afterwards, be able to ask him questions, be able to call him up. Like he was so protected that nobody had access to him. So if that's a thing, start asking questions. Right. Um, and the next one is anytime somebody uses the church's platform to leverage their own personal growth. Their own personal platform. Yeah. Their own personal. Yeah. When you say grow, grow their platform. Yes. Yeah. Or their yeah. brand. Write a book. Yeah. Uh, start speaking at different conferences. Uh, yep. Start to have a really huge uh, online following. Yeah. It's not like it's impossible, but it's a red flag. Yeah. It's not it's not bad for your pastor to write a book. They want to write a book and they got things to write about. Great. Write a book. Um, they probably shouldn't be standing on the stage Sunday morning in the middle of their sermon, giving a little like homage to their book right. and telling you yeah. to go buy it. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know, Mark, if you would ever write a book or do something like that, but I got one written. It's in his head. <laughs> no one's ever going to read it. unless in my Evernote. No. <laughs> but uh, I think like, for years. I think one thing that is good for all people in all walks of life, especially pastors, people who work in church ministry, professional Christians, as they call them, right. is Thank you, you for, diversify. Thank you for bringing that into If you diversify <laughs> yourself, whether that's like a side hustle or a job of some kind, or you know, even if it's just a hobby or interest too. And for some people, like that is creating, writing books. Yeah. You know, they're entrepreneurs. They do these other things on the side. I think the distinction here is <laughs> the church shouldn't be telling their leaders like you can't do anything outside of here it's more like w the church is not going to be a conduit to help you make money 
Like it's not going to be a platform for you to increase your brand or your potential or anything like that. Like there might, if we have a long enough conversation, we might be able to find some areas where that crosses over appropriately. But like, like when you start selling your coaching program, your stationery, your book that you self published and then needed to sell thousands of copies Uh to break even. I mean, so many, so many examples of this, (laughs) big and small, sending out, sending out links to the stuff that you've been preaching at for other pastors, going and and coaching other, I'm just, we've experienced our own like microcosm of this, like the times where we mentioned like the podcast during the service. We're just kind of like, I'm kind of like, how often do I do that? Is that okay? How can we do that? That's weird. Yeah. Not the same thing. Um, Cause we're not doing this cause we want to, grow we're just doing it to i'm just having a good time yeah <laughs> i think just like to totally, talk i think it's useful for yeah. people to process i think it's good yeah. yeah but yeah that's red flags if yeah. you see them start asking questions if you're not allowed to ask questions ask more questions that, right. that one specifically goes to narcissism tendency yep right mm-hmm. um i do think there's other red flags in behavioral areas almost like when I think sometimes you can have start having an emotional relationship with, that's inappropriate with a coworker or mm-hmm. with someone in the church before it's a physical. So keeping an eye on those sorts of relationships as they start to get weird, you can sometimes suss out uh, this is going to turn into something mm-hmm. terrible and we need to step in now. Uh, my brother's church, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago, uh, they had a pastor who was having like an emotional affair with the secretary that was just about to turn into something physical and they yeah. like stepped in and you know gave him time off and you know kind of reset the culture of the he was able to keep pastoring it was just like it was starting to get inappropriate so there's another red flag to pay attention to yeah. it was mm-hmm. like when p- pastors have their pets or get too close to somebody or you know like i don't know is that great, weird great is that weird example. to say pets yeah a little bit um so I think that's a red flag to look for yeah. in the other area. One's narcissism. One's like yeah. uh, inappropriate uh, relationships. Yeah. Sin or Anytime theory. I hear a new pastor talk about wanting to pastor like a giant church or like wanting to like have a church with five campuses, like immediately I'm like, mm, yeah, there, there, there's, feel like if God there's does some that, narcissism does in them in there. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a little bit about, I would, hey. I would slap that person really hard. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. We've, we've had conversations about like, would it make sense for us to start another pursuit in another place? Like close enough. Like, again, we talked about Maplewood. Mm-hmm. It's like, does that place need a church? Would our style of church work really well there? Uh, it would be a standalone church with a standalone pastor that would be some, in some way affiliated. Yeah. Um, like we've talked about that and I don't necessarily have a super big desire for that, but I would like, if we had the right personnel for it and it yeah. felt like God was leading it's us to do it. It's not an immediate no. I'd be like, okay, if God's calling us to do that, like we could, we could, yeah. you know, we can partner in ministry. Take some of our DNA and replant it somewhere else and it would be another but it's, version of church. It's planting. not going to be another place with a screen with Mark on the screen. No. Gross. People can barely deal with me in person. <laughs> I know. I don't need me on screen. <laughs> Sorry for anyone who's watching online. <laughs> I can tell you for sure the amount of views we get online tells you that I am a in-person pastor, not an online. This has we we have almost had to do this once. Oh, the first time you got sick um, with your foot, where we almost had to pick a recording and put you up on the screen, mm-hmm. and I fought so hard to do anything but that right we're um, canceling church before I, we do that i just i personally can't do video screen church it yeah. i just i 
that's a whole other podcast I could talk for a very long time. I don't know. Um, that's actually pretty great. Oh. <laughs> um, but we, because we have relationships with other churches and other pastors, got to talk to another pastor who sent us a staff to preach. Like, yep. yeah. because Renovation. we work together. Yep. Yes. Thank you, uh, Pastor David Storm and Pastor. You did it. Oh, you no. You forgot his name. No. Don't ask me. I don't I don't remember. I wasn't even there. Josh? Yeah. Josh. Josh. That's right. Josh yeah. Pollock. He's the man. I'm so sorry, Josh. Yeah. Um, he's incredible. <laughs> I talk to him every time I go there and I couldn't remember his name. I'm a terrible human. Pastor Josh Pollock. Like, um, don't put me on a pedestal. I'm not a good person. But but this is why why we partner together yeah. and why it is Big K Kingdom. Yep. Yeah. I think we the, can do things like this. I think the only thing I would say too, just to kind of wrap up this conversation, is um if you're listening to this and you're a part of pursuit, um <laughs> When I said to our own horn a while ago, I'm not bringing that back, even though I just did. Um, I think you, in huh? some ways, you should feel encouraged listening to some of these like red flags in the sense that as a church plant, as a mobile site church, we have a lot of these things, safeguards kind of baked in to our DNA right. and who we are. Like we're a small staff and we're very transparent. We share leadership. Um, you know, Mark, you've talked a little bit on here about building the uh, leadership culture and the bylaws and things like that. And mm -hmm. being very aware of, as you do that, like building in safeguards, building in checks and balances yeah. so that like, even though right now things are great, that doesn't mean like five years from now you could yeah. turn into a raging narcissist or something like as <laughs> he already is. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but like doing all these things. So like what I'm trying to say is I think that we as a staff are aware of this. We have a lot of people in our church that are aware of this and want to safeguard against it. And so the more awareness we have collectively as a faith, a body of faith, a community of faith, the better off we're going to be as a church that's called Pursuit. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this came out of directly the situation we were in before Pursuit, like mm -hmm. of saying, we don't want that. Like right. it can't be that we have right. to figure out another thing. Um, but now the past three years has just been figuring out how to actually put that into our church culture um, so that that continues. Right. So the farther we get away from that initial situation, we don't forget right. yeah. and kind of revert Co back. Codifying. Yeah. 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 yeah so we'll uh, kind of put a little bow for now on this conversation. We'll revisit this periodically as you know, new topics come up and new thoughts come up. Uh, to readdress this. Uh, I would recommend if you didn't get the chance to go through the Here for Good series to go back and listen to some of those, if not all of those messages that we did this last fall, because that really, um, that's really great context for this entire conversation as well. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing too is, I, you know, we just really desire your guys' thoughts and opinions as well. You know, whether that's in the comments or whether it's just through personal communication mm -hmm. with any of us as staff, uh, because we want to hear your your thoughts, your opinions, your stories as well. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. And uh, any other thoughts you guys want to share? Nope. Nope. No, we love you guys. And uh, hope you have a great rest All of right. your week. Have a good one. Bye. See ya.